The parishes of Matas Masay are always read during the Bainam Atzarim, the three weeks of mourning, the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, and that is not by chance because they carry the theme of why it is that the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed in the first place. Much more importantly, they carry the theme of how we go about, number one, transforming that period and coming out even stronger because of it. That's especially when Matas and Masay are read together, which happens most years. That also brings Parshas Pinchas into the period of Ben Amitzarim, so there must be a lesson there too, and sometimes even from Parshas Bolok. The Rebbe frequently quotes what the Shalot teaches, that there is a very strong correlation between the parishes that we, weak and the, that, that we read and the special occasions that are in the week those parashas are read. We'll move on. Can a government get a parashas matas masse? So obviously that's going to apply also to parashas matas masse. Which we always read during the three-week period. And therefore, that obviously implies that those two parashas have a very unique connection between their theme and the theme of the Bein So at first it would seem that the theme is because of the negativity expressed in these parashas. The simplest way to see a series of connections between these parashas and this time of the year is because the parashas matos, maskir moshe First of all, in parashas matos, when the Bnei God and Bnei Reuven want to take a piece of land to the east of Eretz Yisrael, the east of the Jordan. So Moshe Rabbeinu reminds them of the sin of the Miraglim, which was the direct cause of the Jews staying for 40 years in the desert, which obviously is a template for the principle of spending a lengthy time in exile, which is the theme that we begin as we begin the three weeks of mourning the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. So there's a link. Matos Golus Beinamitzarim. Likewise, but Chilas Parashas Masay Mesuparidas and Masoyis. The beginning of Parashas Masay describes the 42 different journeys the Jews took in the desert. Visa Medrash and the Medrash tells us why does Moshe Rabbeinu repeat all the 42 stations that they passed through? Amalei Akadosh Baruch Hu Moshe because they just told him Manelehem Kolam Akomis Heichonich Isuni. Tell them, remind them of all the places that they angered me. Lakachnemer Ei the Masay Bnei Yisrael. That's why the pasuk says, according to the Medrash, these are the journeys the Jews went through. If we anger Hashem, he has Angering Hashem is, of course, what precipitates Golos and what caused the Bein Amitzorim in the first place. Plus, later on in the parish, it talks about the whole principle of going to a city of refuge is a form of Golos that is imposed on a person who inadvertently kills somebody else. So that would seem to be the simple link. Matus Masse are themes related to Golos, therefore we read them during the Benamatsarim. Or we could go a line deeper, look what the Shalos says, that the concepts described in these two parashas, which are Parashas Matas talks about the kind of thing that could blemish a person's soul when a person makes verbal commitments whether it's a neder or shvur and doesn't necessarily keep them, that could have an impact on the neshama. Or in Pashas Masa, which talks about the sin of murder, which obviously blemishes the human body, those garmos chorim beis hamikdashes kimavur shom barucha, the shalag goes into great detail about how, how those two sets of averas, verbal averas and murder, are the causes for the destruction of the two Bote Mikdash, and he explains exactly how. So that would seem to be that there's a fair amount of information showing that the link between Ben Amitzorim and Matas Masse is on the negative side, Golos. Yes, 
Shashaychas beis Pasha say levena mitzvarim ain't no rakbin in agolas amrumas bain. But the Rebbe would like to suggest that the link between matas masay and beina mitzvarim is not only the negative golus theme. Hala adraba, in fact, there is also, and it's actually the main thing we should focus on. Matasmase is actually <coughs> the theme of the avoider that we need to empower ourselves to leave the Golos. Why? How are we so convinced that that should be a theme? Simple explanation. Simply speaking, we know that all of the restrictive morning practices that apply during the three weeks do not apply on Shabbos. Because Shabbos is a time you're not allowed to be sad. To the contrary, it's a day that you're supposed to enjoy. That's part of the mitzvah of Shabbos. In other words, what we're saying is Shabbos is immune to the effects of Bein So if that's true about Shabbos in general, it certainly must be true about the parashiyas. So if that's how it is practically, that you don't mourn on Shabbos, then from a spiritual perspective, as the Tzemach explains, Shabbos is... <coughs> Must be that the Shabbos during these three weeks are actually the, the, the balm, the antidote to the Golos, like Hashem always presents us first with the possibility of a cure before presenting the disease. So the Shabbos of the three weeks, they hold the capacity to be able to immunize ourselves against and even heal the effects of the three weeks. That's the time frame out there. They're moving a bit more culture, Cain. How much more so than when again the parshas at Torah shakarim bismanaze? Must this be true of the parshas? That's the Torah that is relevant at this time. The Cain and Shetzim be mishpati pada v'shaver b'tzdaka. As we well know, we read in the Haftarahs at this time of the year that Zion is redeemed through mishpat. What's mishpat? Well, mishpat kan koyal atir. That refers to Torah, even though we normally would translate it just simply as judgment. Move on. That indicates the parishes we read during this time of the three weeks. That is what gives us the power to be able to heal the Golos. Not just the fact that it's Shabbos, which is immune to Golos. And as the Tzemach Tzedek explains, the, the healing of Golos, but specifically the parishes that we read. In other words, inside the parishes that we read at this time of the year, there will be instructions and guides on what we should be doing during the Bainamitsarim, which will give us the capacity to fulfill, as the Rambam promises, that these are days that will be transformed to days of tremendous joy and actual Yomim Tovim. So let's find that in the parishes. Especially when we consider that everything in Torah is absolutely precise. Especially when you compare it to ordinary things that happen in the world, where we know that every ordinary thing that happens in the world is by divine providence. Then, if it turns out, like this year, that Matas Masay are combined into a double parasha, then, over and above the generic input, insight, and empowerment that Matas Masay give us for the Bainam Matsarim, the double parasha of Matas Masay together will give us unique and special power. And we can understand how that is simply. When we read Matas Masa's two separate parishes, which is the less common version, that would only mean that there are three parishes in the three weeks. Matas Mata is one week, Masa the second week, Dvarim the third week. 
When we put Matas Masay together, which happens more commonly, then we read a fourth parasha during the period of the Ben Hamitzvah, also Parashas Pinchas. And sometimes when there's a unique layout of the calendar, like the Yodha Rebbe said, the Sicha, Gam Parashas Bolok, you'd even read Parashas Bolok in the three weeks, which you'd actually read on Shivasa Batamas, which is a deferred fast in that particular kafiyos. So if you have a, a situation where there's additional Torah to be read during a time period, that indicates that there must be more strength, the rape to heal, and in a preemptive way, all of the negativity of the Bainam So it's a special thing if we have matters masse together, we obviously have more strength to be able to neutralize the negative of the Bainam it's also self-understood. Obviously, it's not just the fact that there's a lot of Torah around, therefore we are empowered. It's much more specific than that. It must be because of the specific themes that are illustrated in Matas Masin, specifically when they come together. That's where we have the strength and the empowerment to be able to transform this time of the year. Because as we have mentioned, these are parishes that are obviously aligned with this particular time and therefore are the perfect resource for us to draw on in order to be able to make this difference to the world. So let's understand what Matas Masay are about. But before that, let's understand what happens when you put two parishes together. What happens when two parishes are combined on a single Shabbos? It is no longer a scenario where it's one Shabbos, where we are reading two separate parishes. What we're doing is we're taking what was originally two parishes, and we're actually turning them into a single parasha. And we can prove it. Say to me, say, when you read the two parashas together, we take two parashas and split them over only seven aliyahs. And that's not only on Shabbos, it's also in the learning that we do of the parasha as part of Chitas in the week leading up to the parasha. The way that we split the parashas up into seven aliyahs doesn't indicate separation between the parashas. To the contrary, it indicates Oneness. How? Let's say for argument's sake, if you called up four people from the first parasha and three from the seven, then you'd say, ah, there's a distinction. That's the larger portion. That's the smaller portion. Other ways that you could have done it, right? Three and four. The interesting thing about a so-called double parasha is that when we get to the fourth day of the week to learn, or when we get to the fourth aliyah on Shabbos, we include the end of one parasha and the beginning of the other parasha in the same aliyah. And whoever gets called to that aliyah says, Brochus over the Torah that actually apply to psukim from two originally different parashas. But that doesn't seem to make sense. Kevin Shabbat's and Parashas Nifrodo is saying, if fundamentally Matos is its own Parasha and Masay is its own Parasha, as we can see in other years, because we can read them a whole week apart at other times of the year, you would expect that there'd be something, even in the way that we read it, that would show the distinction between them. The fact that we don't make that distinction, but we just kind of read right through. And Ravi goes from Matos into Masay without pausing for breath. 
that indicates that when you put Matas Masse together on the same Shabbos, Matas Masse now becomes a singular parasha. meaning, then in spite of the fact that Matos has its unique theme and message, and so does Masse, because they are part of the 53 separate parishes of Torah, but if it's a Shabbos where they are a combined parasha, they turn into a single entity. They actually become one parasha. Now that's going to be relevant for us to understand the lesson of Matas Masi, because the minute they become one, as we shall see, their themes seem to crash, and then it turns out that they actually complement each other. So we need to understand. At first glance, it would actually seem that Matas Masse have no shared theme. It's not like other scenarios where there's a flow, there's a theme. You know, you're continuing with the same conversation about Tzara'as. There's a chronological sequence between the two parishes so you can understand how they come together. But here it doesn't seem to link. Parashas Matois takes place at the end of 40 years in the desert. That's the historical context. Those are the instructions that have been given at that time. By definition, which describes all of the 42 journeys that the Jews made in the desert, it's like an overview of all of the different travels the Jews had in the desert and the events that happened at the various places listed. It's kind of an overview of three books of Torah that span 40 years in the desert. So how does how does this work? Matos is all the way at the end of the 40th year. And Masse is 40 years worth of information. How could they link as a single parasha? Let's look at the name because we've explained many times. Uh, based on the famous teaching of the Baal Shem Tov, the Alter Rebbe brings in The name of anything in Loshen HaKodesh, specifically if it's something of a Torah, uh, of Torah, the name incorporates or encapsulates exactly what the main theme and content of that particular thing is all about. And obviously that applies to the names of parishes as well. So if we drill in to the name matters, what it represents, the name must say what it represents, that will help us to solve how the two of them can go together. The name of the parasha captures the deep, the depth of what that parasha is really all about. In our context, so we got to look at these two words because matois is going to be the key word of understanding what that parasha is all about as Masse will explain its parasha. Before we get there, we know that matois is a simile to another word that we often use to describe the Jewish people as they're divided into tribes. There are two ways we could describe the 12 divisions of the Jewish people, either shvatim or matos, those are the two words. What's the difference between them? They actually pretty much mean the same thing. They pretty much mean a branch or a stick. So let's understand what they mean in the moshal, what a shevet in its literal sense means versus a mata, a mata in its literal sense. And that will help us understand what it re- represents in terms of the Jewish people. Over pashtos. Shevet is 
a piece of wood that is still moist. Whereas a mate is already dried out. So think of the walking stick. Why is there that distinction between the shevet and the mate? Because a shevet refers to a branch that is still living off the moisture, the sap that was inside the tree. In fact, the shevet might still be connected to the tree as a branch. That's why it's still fresh and it is still moist. Whereas a mate, a stick, a staff can only happen once it's been cut from the tree and therefore it is no longer empowered or kept fresh by the sap of the tree. That's why it is strong and hard. So that helps us understand the two possible definitions we could use for the Jewish people. In the same way as a branch comes from a tree and a shama comes from a source. And that source is, so to speak, the supernal tree, the great tree of godliness. If we refer to the Jewish people as Shvatim, we're highlighting the fact that their connection to their source is apparent. That's where the Jewish people are standing with such a connection to that supernal tree, to godliness, that you can actually see it on them. Generally speaking, when would that occur? That's typically describing the Neshama when it is still in Shemaim. When it is in a state of ongoing, unbroken commitment and bittle surrender to Hashem. So Shevet is, so to speak, a really healthy Neshama. Whereas when we describe the Jews as matois, we're indicating that you can't really see a live wire connection to their source. You don't, you can't notice, you can't identify that connection to Elikos. It's there, but you just don't see it so well. Broadly speaking, that would refer to once the Neshama is living in this world, inside the human form, coupled with an animal soul. Once the human body is the vehicle carrying the Neshama, it looks like and feels like that Neshama has lost touch with its source. Now that information is relevant for us to understand why Matos would be the name of this parasha. Because it's describing It's describing the Jewish people in a very physical sense, living here on earth, and having lost that overt sense of connection to Hashem. That's Matos. Matos seems to describe us in our most physical and shall we say, least connected fashion. Now let's compare that to the name of the parish of Masay. You can only take a journey by completely leaving behind the place where you were before. If you haven't left, you're obviously not on the journey. Each journey is taking you a step closer to Eretz Yisrael. So what does that represent in terms of our avoider? 
הנשיאה וההליכה שמשיג הנשמה על ידי ירידה של למטה באופן דמטויז. That tells us that there is a journey the נשמה goes on. Yes, מטויז, yes, the נשמה is put down into this world and automatically becomes more materialistically oriented and trapped in the world and dragged down by the נפש הפעמס on the one hand and on the other hand, מסי, here is where it has the opportunity to grow, to travel, to, to journey, to even supersede where it was before as we'll discover. והיינו שדווקא על ידי הירידה מסאליס הנשמה לדרגנה על איסיוס Guess what? The neshama only by virtue of experiencing the physical plane is able to reach a state that is superior to where the neshama began while it was still so openly connected to Hashem in Shammai. Why is that? Because as long as the neshama was in Shammai, it was technically called an oimed, which means something that is limited in terms of its progress. Admittedly, the neshama is serving Hashem with tremendous love and tremendous awe, but it's all bound, it's all limited. So yes, neshamas do progress to higher levels, and when they do, it's not a true journey, it's not like I have to uproot from where I was in order to go somewhere else, because it's a finite movement. I'm moving in a gradual process. And therefore the entire growth process of a neshama in Shamaim is actually called standing because it's moving in a single spectrum. But when a neshama enters the human form coupled with a nefesh abahamis, where it's now like this matter which is dried out, and yet, in spite of that spiritual drain, this neshama now uses its faculties, both the physical body and the nefesh abhamis, in order to learn Torah and do mitzvahs. That's where the journey begins. That's where the neshama can actually travel in a real sense. Real travel, real movement, real transformation means you break out of who you were before because it's a challenging environment. So therefore, you are able to completely transform yourself. And that transformation is what we call halicha. Now you're moving. Now you're on a journey. That's a very broad overview of the neshama state. Mata is the, the neshama in its so-called static spiritual state. Mase in its dynamic spiritual state. So basically you could say the Neshama entering this world is described by Pashas Matos whereas Pashas Masei talks about the next phase what you go through in your work here in this world and then the reward, the benefit that you get for it that the Neshama is catapulted so much higher. But that still makes Matos and Masei sound very separate from each other and we're looking for the point of crossover and the, the, the uh, common theme between them. Guess what? If you look closely, Pashas Matois and Pashas Masei each both describe the Neshama in its pristine original form and the Neshama in its dramatically elevated form. We said mate, matois, that refers to the dried out, hardened version of the stick, which we said <coughs> indicates separation from the life-giving force, the sap of the tree. But that's not the only thing that it represents. That hard 
wood represents the toughness, the resilience, the commitment, the tenacity of the Jewish person who can and does use that tenacity to actually serve Hashem while in this foreign environment. In order to be able to overcome the pushback from both the physical part of the who I am as well as the nefesh abhamis, and certainly to be able to overcome the pushback of the world itself, the person has to find that strength of the unbending stick inside of themselves, backbone. he spoiled not to be overwhelmed by the challenges of the world. In fact, to the contrary, to overcome all of the various obstacles <coughs> and the various concealments. As long as a Jewish person living in this world does Torah mitzvahs with that degree of absolute commitment and tenacity, and the person is not worried or overwhelmed by all of the challenges, then not only is there a voida with tremendous strength, but the response, the achievement through that avoider is also with tremendous strength. Because when a person is pushing that hard to do things which are so challenging, they draw on the essence of their soul, which is what we call the strongest, most immutable part of the neshama. That is a certain degree of strength and essence of the neshama, which is now flowing to the surface. That is beyond the strength the Neshama experienced while it was Lamaila. So Matois represents both the strength of conviction to do what Hashem wants, the avoider down here in this world where we are so-called dried out, but it also represents the Mata, the inner strength of the depth of our Neshama, which is only experienced here on earth. So Matois represents both the avoider and the re- result of that avoider. Likewise, the word Masay doesn't only represent the journey and the achievement of that journey. Masay is a plural word. It represents journeys. That includes the journey of the Neshama into this world, the Matois part of the experience. And as it also describes the journey upwards again through our Avoida in this world, where we elevate ourselves further and further, which is our responsibility while living in our world. And in addition to the fact that the word Masay <coughs> describes the journey of our pushing through the, the difficulties in order to serve Hashem, it also represents that the result is our Neshama will grow in a way of Masay, of tremendous movement. That helps us to understand why these parashios are so linked in to the theme of so what do Matas Masay teach us that is so unique? It's that It teaches us that the Neshama enters into this world in order to serve Hashem in an unprecedented fashion with great strength. As it teaches us also that there'll be a great result and and so-called reward because of it. So it's not just that we reach that because the neshama is in this world, 
and mitzad hayirid b'zman agolus binyan ben hamitzarim. But it's specifically because we have the challenges of being in golus. That's what draws out the depths of our neshama, which allows us this tremendous achievement, <coughs> this masse, this exponential growth and development. Because Bizman Abayis, as long as there's a base Amigdash around, and you're living this elevated spiritual experience, where you say, see 10 miracles every time you walk through the door. And Jewish people in the base Amigdash saw and heard godliness in a very tangible way. Needless to say, if you're in that environment, you are naturally committed to Hashem with great bittel. Just like you came to see an experience, you came to be seen, kind of to be sucked into the experience. As long as the Beis Amikdosh was around, Jews were serving Hashem with tremendous love and tremendous awe, quite similar to a Neshama in Ganeiden. It wouldn't be correct to describe Jewish people in the time of the Beis Amikdash as being dried out sticks that are completely disconnected from the source. And a boyfriend to shave it would be better described as, you know, <coughs> as fresh, uh, moist type of sticks. Plugged in to this mainframe, to the source. So as long as the Beis HaMikdash was around, nobody really needed to find this great strength and commitment and tenacity in order to do what Hashem wanted. Which also has a downside. If you don't have to push so hard, you don't draw on the essence of your Nishama. But now in our Golos reality. When you cannot see and perceive godliness in the way that they used to in the time of the Beis HaMikdash. And there are so many different barriers and concealments of godliness. And now you could say that we as Jewish people really do live the Matos experience. Where you can't see a direct line of connection between us and Hashem. So that is what forces us to find a far greater push and strength within ourselves that will empower us to overcome all of the barriers and obstacles to doing what Hashem wants. Particularly not just to do what the Ebishter wants, but to be able to transform the darkness of Golos into the light of Geula. So where is it that you're going to see that we achieve the great reward, so to speak, the achievement of matters of absolute strength in Judaism, specifically during Golas? This is the time where you're going to see the power of our Neshama, <coughs> the essence of our Neshama, revealed much more than when the Beis Amikdash was around, certainly much more than when the Neshama was on high. And that will translate into Masay, true movement, exponential growth. And whatever else positive was associated with Masay is specifically realized during the period of Golus. That's why Matas Masay is so deeply linked to Bena Mitzorim. What we've described so far is, would be relevant, equally relevant, if Matas Masse were two separate parashas, and even when they're not a single parasha. But most years, 
when the two parishes are read as one, then then as we said right at the beginning of the Sicha when two parishes come together it also grows the impetus the power and the, the insight that it gives us for us to be able to do our Avoidah so that's telling us that when the two parishes are together our Avoidah Hashem whatever the Avoidah of Golis is that tremendous strength and ability to move exponentially is now heightened and much more accessible or doable for us. So, let's start. The concept of matters, which represented the descent, because matters is the dried out sticks that represents the descent into Golos and disconnect from godliness. When you read it together with Masseh, so, while you're reading Mata, it's all about us going into Golis, you're reading it, it's Masse. It is a journey, a journey. Well, what kind of a journey? It's a journey that is orchestrated and navigated by Hashem. Which is exactly like the journeys the Jewish people did in the desert. Each one was directed by Hashem. They only moved when Hashem told them to. Well, that's going to encourage us. So I'm not here just flailing in the dark. The Ebeshte is directing me through this particular journey to my, for my benefit. And so therefore I feel empowered and I feel confident. I feel secure. That's the journey, how we got here. Now what about the actual avoider, which is that you're supposed to work hard, fight against the obstacles, overcome them. When I read about Matos, which is the onus on me to be able to push hard and find that toikif, that strength to be able to overcome the darkness. Well, I read it together with Masa, which means, That means that the Torah is empowering me. That whatever a Jewish person pushes to do to serve Hashem during the time of Golos, that strength that we show, Matois, will be Masse, ever increasing, like the journeys that keep going further and further. The strength that we have to overcome the challenges of Golis will consistently increase. And then the third thing we said about the Matois is that it represents the strength of the Neshama, which is something we access when we serve Hashem with that kind of dedication. That also will be dynamic. Where our experience of the root, the source, the essence of our neshama will also consistently increase. Until eventually it takes us, if we can understand what this means, to a level of strength that is even beyond the strength of the root of our neshama. How could you reach something which is beyond the root of your own neshama? The greater strength of the root of the neshama also has its bounds and limits. But when we are absolutely dedicated in our service of Hashem during Golos, the neshama reaches beyond itself, beyond its own shurish, plugs into Debeshta, which is obviously completely infinite. To the extent that we actually become one with Hashem. And on the other hand, so that's all the power of Matois when it is empowered by Masseh. The Masseh, which we originally said, that refers to the exponential growth of the Neshama, the so-called achievement or reward of the Neshama. It's not a later thing. We work now and experience later. 
It's in the same parasha as Matos. That even while a person is still living in the physical world, the person experiences that great progress and that exponential growth. It's not reserved for a later stage in the next world. So that's going to help us to understand what we mentioned earlier. If you read Matos Masek together in one Shabbos, then then you also end up reading Parshas Pinchas as one of the parashas of the three weeks. And even possibly Parshas Bolak, like the other Rebbe said, the Sicha. Because you could ask this question. You know, everything we've learned till now is great in concept, but how can you really demand of people that the every single journey, every single experience of service of Hashem during Golos should be with such overwhelming strength like the strength of Matois? We have different journeys and stages of our lives. We have our ups, our downs. Sometimes they're really extreme. So how do you expect me to always have this consistency of total dedication to Hashem at every journey? Okay, maybe at the beginning of the journey. When you're just breaking out of Mitzrayim. Where you feel this strength. You feel like you've got the Ebeshter as the wind under your wings. Or you're at that stage of the journey where you're coming to Harsinai. There, under those magical circumstances, you can expect that a person will have this incredible strength. But how do you have the same expectation when a person's at that stage of their life where what they're tackling is Rismo? Which was given its name to represent the Loshan Hara and, of course, the, subsequently, uh, the, the subsequent negativity of the Miraglim. Or when a person is in a worse situation, possibly, where they're in a place described by Ovela Shittim, which is a place where people are engaged in one of the lowliest, most crass forms of Aveda Zara. So you expect them to have that strength then? In other words, we all have our challenges in life. We have our inspired moments. We have our real doldrums. So therefore, we start by reading Pashas Pinchas. As long as a person finds the strength to stand up to all the challenges of Golos because they, as an individual, have that strength. Well, humans have their limits. And therefore, their personal strength cannot sustain through every particular challenge that emerges. But when our incredible strength is strength like Pinchas had, which was Bekanes Kinosi, he is jealous on Hashem's behalf. And therefore he was willing to sacrifice everything about himself in public, even if he was standing up against the majority, possibly even the whole nation. Where a person begins their approach to the Avoid Hashem with real willingness to have Messias Nefesh. That means the person completely breaks out of their sense of self. Under those circumstances, it makes no difference. If right now what I'm dealing with is something as beautiful as Har Sinai or something as challenging as Baal Peor. I'm doing what the Eibishter wants and I'm doing it with the same commitment and the same strength regardless because it's not about me. 
And therefore, the ultimate state of bringing together matis masse, which we described as bringing together the strength and the progress all in one. The ultimate way to experience the blend of matis masse is to start by reading Parashas Pinchas in that same time frame, in the Bein HaMitzorim. Especially if it's that you very unique where you don't only start the Bein HaMitzorim reading about the great reward that Pinchas got for his actions. But you even get to read Parashas Balak, which includes at its conclusion the story of what Pinchas did to deserve that reward. Because as we've mentioned, it is that absolute dedication shown by Pinchas that empowers a person to have the magic of the Matas Masi coming together. So far, we've described how Matas Masi uh, come together and complement each other in terms of the themes of what we should be doing in our Avodah Hashem. Now we can also look at how they come together to complement each other in terms of the Sechar we get for it. How is it possible for a neshama, particularly a neshama that is embroiled in this world, in a state of Golos represented by the Beinam Yitzorim, how does that neshama reach the state of Masay where it gets in touch with the absolute strength of the neshama? Even to the extent, as we already mentioned, where you reach a point that is beyond even the root of the neshama. How do you do that? You're, you're in this world with all the, the challenges of this world. And as we mentioned, not to wait until a later stage or an elevated stage to be able to experience it, but even while you're here in this world, you should be able to have the experience of the neshama going through this exponential growth. How is that possible? When it comes, for example, to the description of what the reward is for a person who serves Hashem B'chol which is the ultimate level described in Krishna. Of course, we understand that in order for a Neshama to experience B'chol it has to enter and experience this world. We're told that only after a person leaves this world, then they are capable of seeing and experiencing the reward for that avoid of Bechol Meidecha. Only after a person has been through a tremendous sense of transformation and elevation, both of the body and of the Nefesh Abahamis, both by working against the temptations of this world and transforming the negative of the world into positive. But you don't get to witness that during a lifetime. What we're describing over here to experience the Masay of the Neshama, which is beyond Shoresh HaNeshama, which sounds like it's something even greater than the reward for Bechol Meidecha, that you should have, you should be able, it's realistic to expect that you're going to experience that great elevation even while you're in this world. helps us resolve that too. That we read Parashas Pinchas at the beginning of Benamitzorim. As mentioned, as long as a person is serving Hashem in the confines of their own personal experience with their own personal limitations, even if the person is doing the best possible job at the highest possible level that could be expected of a great person, person doesn't yet escape themselves and the fact that they are a created finite being. 
But when a person serves Hashem with absolute mysterious nefesh, which means a person goes completely against their nature. Then that person escapes the limitations of being a created entity. Not only does the person escape themselves as a created entity, but they even escape the neshama's root and its root's root. <laughs> which is still that neshama's root. So therefore, still defined by its own existence. It's not yet essence, which is beyond all definitions. But when a person has absolute mysterious nefesh and goes against their nature, at which point the person, so to speak, becomes one with Hashem's essence, as alluded to in the Pasuk that says, where the, the spirit of the person returns to Hashem who created and gave it, that's a different story. When a person has that degree of service of Hashem, which is complete mysterious nefesh, total self-sacrifice, that's when a person has really ultimately transformed, elevated and refined both their body and the nefesh Then the body is so elevated and so refined that even while the neshama is living inside that body, the person is capable of experiencing the real move, movement and growth and exponential development of the neshama. To actually get in touch with where the neshama really reaches and attains through its avoider in this world. So what's the key? Pinchas. The key is complete dedication to Hashem without sense of self. And that allows us this impossible experience of matas masay, of living in the world and experiencing something out of this world. And there's another special angle on this. The year that the Rebbe said the Sicha, so the beginning of Bein Amitzorim was on Shabbos, which was Shivas Batamus. So therefore, obviously, the fast is deferred, and that's when you read Pasha's Bolak. So the explanation of the significance of when the Bein HaMitzorim starts and ends on a Shabbos and how that links to the Pashas of Matas Masai is as follows. The entire purpose of bringing the Shabbos down into this world, particularly when a Neshama lives through Golos, where it's so-called dried out. As Al Rebbe quotes in Tanya from the Eitzchayim, the purpose of the Neshama coming down into this world is not for the benefit of the Neshama. The Neshama doesn't need any repair or upgrade. The whole purpose of the Neshama entering this world is to have an impact on and an elevation of the human body and the animal soul. As well as the peace of earth, the peace of the physical reality that belongs to that Neshama. Let's translate that into our story. Matos, which represents that toikif, that strength of doing what Hashem wants, no matter what. The strength of the stick. As well as the result that the Neshama gets from that absolute dedication to Hashem, represented both by Matos, the strength of the essence of the Neshama being revealed, and Masay, the exponential growth of the Neshama, 
אין רק בזה שהנשמה מתגברת על כל העלומס וההיסטוריים של הגוף ונפש הבאמס ועל חשך הגולוס. It's not just that the neshama is able to overcome all the challenges presented either by its immediate environment, the body and the nefesh abamis, or by its broader environment, the world at large. So the main focus of here is not what the neshama achieves because it worked so hard and did so, so amazingly. Well, the main focus of here is what it actually does to the nefesh abamis. And what it does to the world, the dark world out there. And what the neshama does to the dark golos that, that presides. So in other words, The neshama didn't need elevation, so therefore the value to the neshama is actually a moot point. The greatness is the value of what the neshama does to its immediate and broader environment. Because the strength the neshama has once it's in this world, even that amazing strength the neshama discovers when it's pushing against the obstacles and the The, 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 uh, <coughs> the, the concealment of this world. None of that is a surprise. Because the neshama is fundamentally godliness. So it's no surprise if it pushes against or through something that opposes godliness. Its absolute deepest sense of pleasure and value comes from elikus. So what could possibly get in its way? And so therefore, you can't say that the neshama standing up to the challenges of this world is this great exponential development and growth of the neshama. No, it's actually the normal course of how neshamas behave. They are attracted to elikus and whatever's in the world doesn't really matter. But when a human down in this world stands up to do what Hashem wants with that absolute dedication and focus, with a focus which is not to say I'm just going to do what Hashem wants but more than that I'm going to bring the Nefesh Abahamis on board I'm going to turn it around I'm going to get the Nefesh Abahamis to commit to Hashem in a way that is completely counter natural for it which is going to cause it to actually lose its original Nefesh Abahamis identity And not only that, but I'm even going to turn the world around from being a dark, gallus place. Then the nefesh alikis is moving in a way that is unexpected, that is unfettered, in an extreme form. In fact, <coughs> the minute the nefesh alikis is transforming the world around it, It's breaking the barriers even of its own so-called extreme possibilities. Because what's happening over here is the Nefesh Alekis is no longer simply a, a behaving like a Nefesh Alekis would. And, and yes, the strength of a Nefesh Alekis is, is profound, but it's actually behaving like Debesh's essence. And therefore it's one with Debesh's essence. And that would be illustrated by this very special scenario where the first day of the Bein HaMitzorim, the, the fast of Shavas HaMitzorim is a Shabbos and specifically Pashas Bolak. HaKavon HaVatachli Shabbin HaMitzorim, he, the goal of Bein HaMitzorim is not to remain Bein HaMitzorim, but to the contrary, the objective is that the, the morning should be transformed into joy. That those self-same days that are the days of 
of golos, of fasting, of negativity, they should become the days of celebration. And that might also be alluded to in the fact that the symbol Hashem uses to show how quickly the devastation is coming is <coughs> specifically this, this almond, like quick blossoming stick. As the explanation goes, because they're just saying, I'm quick, I'm quick to do this. There's not going to be a delay. Chazal tell us why Dafka almonds, because they take 21 days to ripen, and that represents the three weeks of the Beina Mitzurim. The objective of here is not just to show Yermiyahu the bad news, that it's going to quickly devolve. Rather, they is showing at Yerimiyahu what the goal and the purpose over here is. This quick sprouting and ripening stick, in a positive sense. As Al-Tareb explains, why is it that when they had to prove that Aaron was in fact suited to be the Kohen Godel, the stick had to sprout with almonds, says the Altair, because that represents the speed at which Hashem's positive energy flows into our world. Therefore, if and naturally Tisha B'Av fall on Shabbos, as happened the other Rebbe said the Sicha, Shabbos defers the fast. Shabbos transforms a day that is supposed to be the beginning of the three weeks to a day that where you have to celebrate and you have to enjoy. And that's exactly what the Pasuk says, transforming the morning into joy. Especially when you consider that that's actually what Shabbos is always about, not only during the Bein HaMitzorim. Like it's a day that removes danger <coughs> or harmful elements from this world. The ultimate goal and purpose of Shabbos is not just to remove or neutralize negative forces, but to turn them into positive. You see that already from the very first Shabbos ever. Where physically you could see that the very first Shabbos, the darkness was transformed into light. It was 36 hours without dark. Bahainu, in other words, Shabbos is about the transformation of the negative, of the Bein HaMitzorim, of the time of mourning. Because the goal of Shabbos is, as illustrated in the very first Shabbos ever, Shabbos is all about transforming darkness into light. As the prediction is in the time of Moshiach, Shabbos is the exact opposite theme of what Bein HaMetzorim is. Bein HaMetzorim is where you take the light of Yerushalayim and dim it out. Shabbos is taking the darkness of the world and illuminate it. So therefore it's obvious. When the three weeks begin with the Shabbos of Atamas on a Shabbos, and that's the perfect scenario of where the setup is 
that the healing of the Bein HaMetzarim precedes the Bein HaMetzarim because you first have the joy of Shabbos before you actually have the restrictive morning laws of the Bein HaMetzarim. So right at the beginning it already turns the whole thing around. That obviously makes it far easier for us to do the Havoidah that we're supposed to do during the three weeks. And the value of having the two of them coincide, as we've already mentioned. Which means we are more empowered to be able to transform the inner and outer darkness to become holy and, and light. <coughs> and of course, that theme is clearly reflected in Pasha's Bolak. The whole purpose of Pasha's Bolak is you've got an anti semite a rogue like Bilam, blessing the Jewish people. As the Pasuk tells us clearly, Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to listen to Bilam. Nebuchadnezzar transformed the curse, the darkness, into brocha, into light. In fact, it was so spectacular that it's not just that Hashem transformed the curse to brocha. And the Masha Dovi Irali de Bilam Dafka, but Bilam was the one to make that happen. Shehu Haluma said to Moshe, Anitachle Saifech Dikdusha, who is Bilam? Bilam is the antithesis of Moshe. He is the absolute opposition to Kedusha. And he's the one transforming the curses into brachas. Yes, sir, Halkain. Not only does he bless us, not only does he transform the curses into blessings, but Bilam becomes the one who predicts Mashiach. The Rambam goes through the various words that Bilam had said and shows how they refer to Mashiach. Bilam is the one who describes how we'll be completely removed from the experience of Bainam Mitzorim. Right now it's our avoider to transform our personal Bainam Mitzorim into light. But <coughs> Bilam is telling us how Moshiach is going to take us out of Ben Mitzrayim and convert it to life for real. Now you bring all of these, the confluence of all of these things. You've got Matas and Masay together. And then you have Parashas Pinchas also as one of the Parashas Ben Mitzrayim, which represents our capacity for absolute bittel and commitment to Hashem, which facilitates the greatness of Matas Masay. And especially in the unique setup where the three weeks begin on a Shabbos and with Parashas Bolak. That all hastens the fulfillment of the brocha that Hashem will convert these days from mourning into joy. The transformation of that symbol to Yirmiya, of the quick sprouting stick to the quick sprouting geula, like the Ebishter wants to quickly get the Yidden into Eretz Yisrael, and like this, in a moment, Moshiach will be here.